less affected by the world. Sannyasi then takes up the path of knowledge, reduces the last few desires. Just one main desire left, reach enlightenment. He practices meditation, last desire falls away, he becomes enlightened. This is the formula to spiritual enlightenment. Any questions? See, it's quite straightforward if you think about it. Once you understand, it's quite straightforward. It can't be that difficult, otherwise no one could do it. But we get shrouded with other things. We can't think, we can't see clearly what the formula is, what the path is, because there's so much other things, religion, rituals, all those things. No, I'm not saying they're wrong, but it doesn't allow you to think clearly, what exactly do I do? How do I measure if I'm developing or not? This is the path that teaches you. And as your desires fall away, you know you're developing. As you become more withdrawn from the world, you know you're developing. I go to the restaurant every week, twice a week. Now you've reduced it to once a month. You know you're developing. I don't have that desire anymore. I'm developing on the spiritual path. <laughs> Any questions? So last week we covered verse one. I'm just going to quickly cover it because it's uh, today's class follows it. Arjuna asks Krishna, Krishna, just tell me what is better, the path of action or the path of renunciation? One minute you tell me the path of action, next the path of renunciation. Make up your mind. Tell me clearly which one I should follow. You're just confusing me. Krishna had already explained. Arjuna is still confused because his mind is agitated. He has to fight this battle, this war. His mind is agitated. We would all be in the same position. If we were in his shoes, we'd all be in the same position. Middle of the battlefield, how can you learn this? So Arjuna is right to say, Krishna, please just tell me, what shall I do? Then in verse two, Lord Krishna replies to Arjuna's question. He says, both the paths of renunciation and yoga lead to the same goal of supreme bliss, self-realization. But out of the two, the path of action is superior. And we discussed that actually this isn't the case. Renunciation follows after karma yoga, path of action. But for Arjuna, the path of action is the best path. He is a karma yogi, a man of action, an extrovert. Lord Krishna knows he can't study the Gita 
And right now, he just needs instructions. He's a warrior. Warrior, warrior just needs instructions. In the army, soldiers follow instructions. They're not have to think for themselves. The general says, go and fight. They have to go and fight. They can't say why. So Arjuna was in the same situation. He followed instructions. Arjuna, half of action is superior for you. That's last week's class. Any questions before we begin? Is everyone clear about that? Damesh, clear? Okay. So we're going to cover three verses today, hopefully. Now, all three verses are saying the same thing. Okay? It's very repetitive. They're saying the same thing in slightly different ways. So let's begin. Verse 3. Neyasa nityasan yasi yona vestina kanksati nirdvan vohi mahabaho sukambandat mramuchyate neyasa nityasan yasi yona vestina kanksati Nirdvan vohi mahabaho sukambandat pramuchyate. He should be known as a perpetual sannyasi, ascetic, who neither hates nor desires. For free from the pairs of opposites, O Mahabaho, he is easily set free from bondage. I'll repeat it. He should be known as a perpetual sannyasi, ascetic, who neither hates nor desires. For free from the pairs of opposites, O Mahabaho, he is easily set free from bondage. Krishna explains that a person who has advanced to a sannyasi eventually has only a few desires which are to become self-realized. He's set free from bondage. We'll cover what bondage is in a minute. When he's at this stage, he's unaffected by his likes and dislikes. A sannyasi is, not, is unaffected by his likes and dislikes. He's unaffected by the pairs of opposites. Free from the bondage. says perpetual sannyasi. Any idea what that means? Perpetual sannyasi. He is a perpetual sannyasi. Any idea? Nilam? Um, is it that it's constant? Constant. Yeah. So rather than being fluctuating and agitated like us, it's a flow of unaffectedness. Yeah. Any examples? No. Perpetual <laughs> sannyasi is permanent, not part-time. Someday you say you're not affected. Next day you say, what do you cook here? I don't like this. Your next day you're affected. This, when you reach that stage, permanent sannyasi, 
no cravings, no hatred, unaffected from pairs of opposites. In today's language, you can say he's a cool dude. <laughs> he's cool. Look, not affected by anything. Sanyasi is a cool dude. So it's permanent. That stage is permanent. This is what we're saying. There's no going back. Ravi, can you read paragraph one, please? A karma yogi, one who follows the path of action, drops the bulk of his desires, thus becoming a sannyasi. Acid. Progressing on the spiritual path, an advanced sannyasi finds himself with almost no desires. His few desires relate only to the attainment of the final goal of self-realization. As a result, likes and dislikes no longer agitate and unsettle such an established sannyasi. The innumerable pairs of opposites no longer plague him. The pairs of opposites harass most people at all levels of their personality. For example, heat and cold, health and sickness may affect him at the physical level. Joy and sorrow, love and hatred at the emotional level. Honor and dishonor, knowledge and ignorance at the intellectual level. A sannyasi at an advanced state of development feels free from the influence of these worldly pairs of opposites. Such a person is well poised to gain the ultimate liberation from the entanglements, entanglements with the world. Thank you. So this we've covered before, world is made up of pairs of opposites. This is the definition of the world. What is the world? Pairs of opposites. Without that explanation, you can't understand the world. You can't understand what's short unless you know what is tall. That's a tall, big horse. How can you compare it to a big horse? You must have seen a smaller horse. Noah's Ark, animals in pairs. That's the significance of it. Ganesha, one tusk is broken. If you look at the murti of Ganesha, one tusk is always broken. That's what it means. Not affected by the pairs of opposites. I remember um, Swamiji used to tell us this episode, this uh, foreign couple, American, they bought, you know, in the souvenir in Mumbai, they buy all these murtis and everything. So they bought a murti of Ganesha. They, take, they took it back to the hotel and they opened it and said, this is damaged. One tusk is broken. They sold us a damaged Ganesha. We better go back. So they go back, they argue and argue with the guy saying, you sold me a broken Ganesha. Look, one tusk is broken. The poor guy is explaining, this is how they are. They're all like that. But they wouldn't have it. They think that he's got all damaged stock. 
Then when they went back in the hotel, the hotel man explained, this is how it is. This is what it means. Pairs of opposites, unaffected by the pairs of opposites. But if you don't know that, you think it's damaged. So if you look at any Ganesha, one tusk is broken. So we're all affected by this pairs of opposites. Joy, sorrow, love, hatred. Honor and dishonor. I could never understand what honor and dishonor means. What is honor and dishonor? Any idea who can explain what honor and dishonor is? Genuinely, I don't understand what honor and dishonor is. Any ideas? We're affected by honor and dishonor. Nilam, any idea? What is honor and dishonor? Well, I'm just thinking, is it is it to do with if you're um, almost like an integrity with how you want to behave? So if you've committed to behaving in a certain way, anything that you do that's aligned with that is honorable and anything that's not is dishonorable. Who decides, though, what that marker is? I'm just discussing this because it's always um, taking me back what honor and dishonor means. Because physically, mentally, it doesn't, what does it mean? Any ideas? I thought maybe you guys can enlighten me. What is honor and dishonor? You seem to put, give it a lot of value. Sil, you said you got an idea? I don't know. I think it might be to do with the ego, mm. where you feel that um, you deserve a type of honour mm. for anything you say or do. Mm. And um, that then, if they dishonour you, that don't give you the recognition of who you are, what you are, or what you're doing, what you've achieved or anything, that's dishonorable to you. So it's to do with the ego, isn't it? And you mm. feel affected by that. So mm. you feel elated when somebody gives you that right. recognition and honor, and you feel dissatisfied and angry and upset if mm. they don't give you that. And you, so it's the ego, isn't it? Ego, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, people kill for honor and dishonor. So obviously it has to have some value to people if they could go out and kill someone because they've dishonored that person. As Sil said, do with the ego. You know who I am. How dare you talk to me like that? I'm the head of my community. See, if you think about it, honor and dishonor actually means nothing. It's to do with your ego. Spiritual, in spirituality, there is no space for honor, dishonor, or ego. Someone may come and say, you're talking all nonsense. All these people are following you. They're coming to your class. All you're doing is talking nonsense. That's fine. That's his opinion. Should I feel dejected? Should you feel dejected? You're doing a wonderful job. 
helping so many people, should I be elated? No. Everything, you keep it to no, on, no elation, no delation. Just stick to your values and that's it. Other people's opinion do not matter. You're learning this subject which teaches you how to be the perfect human being. What other people say is irrelevant. You're following Lord Krishna's teachings. What other people say, why do you give it any value? Unless they are more greater authority. If Swamiji comes and says, what nonsense you're talking, then I have to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. So unless they have a greater knowledge than you, otherwise, what difference does it matter? We give it so much value to honor and dishonor. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't, doesn't mean that you say, how dare you say this to me? You don't know not what you're talking about. Just don't engage. Thank you. That's the opinion. You carry on. Does that make sense, Ravi? Your boss says something, you've got to listen to him, yeah? You may not take it in. You may not, you know, but you can't argue with him. Or her, she's just standing over there. So. Huh? Your boss or is standing <laughs> Yeah, now you know. <laughs> so that's honor and dishonor. We all get affected by it. It's nonsense. Rise above it. Other things, yeah, fair enough, you're affected by it. But this one thing, don't let it affect you, yeah? Honor and dishonor. Joy and sorrow. Love and hatred. Knowledge and ignorance. A sannyasi is risen above all that nonsense. Doesn't affect him. Ravi. People are bound to the world all their life. In childhood, they bind themselves to toys and games. They lose themselves completely in their play. When they grow into adults, their passions, their passions shackle them. A variety of passions like lust, wealth, family, power, status, grip them throughout their adult life. Upon reaching old age, they find themselves riddled with attachments and worries. They never find a moment of peace and happiness in all their lives. Thus, all through your life, you bind yourself to the world. A sannyasi is one who has freed himself from, the, from this self-inflicted bondage. You see the difference? What a sannyasi status is. Free from all the bondage. Attached to everything we are. Work, business, family, home, bank balance, material things. It binds us greater to the world. We're not saying it's wrong. 
Yeah, we all have it. We're not saying it's wrong to have all these things, but it binds us to the world. That doesn't mean you give it all away. All this we have created for our lifetime. I, I call it my mental baggage. My mental baggage, that's what I call it. Wherever I go, I take it with me. And he just brings you down mentally. How can he be free to think clearly? It's in your power, you've created it. You've created that bondage. You can free yourself from it. It's all down to you. Family, partners, work. I'm not saying it's wrong. We're all in the same place. But all this keeps you attached to the world. Now, please don't, after this class, tell your partner, your family, you know, all this mental baggage you guys are creating. No more. I'll give you a slap, tell you stop going to these Sunday classes. This guy's not teaching you the right things, you know? What do you mean mentally attached? It's philosophically speaking, we're talking here, yeah? Not physically. You can't leave everything and go to a cave. Well, you can, I found one, but you're not ready to do that because of all this mental attachment. King Janaka was a king. He had everything, whole kingdom, all the wealth, beautiful wives, everything, completely detached mentally. Even though he's a king, he had everything is mentally detached. Even this shall pass. So you can have everything, but no attachment, no bondage. It's the value you give to everything. As I said, you can't leave everything. Everything we've created, we have responsibilities. But mentally, you can free yourself from it. Any questions? Do you see why it affects you, Ramesh? Yeah. You look at it objectively, you see how it, how it creates issues in your life. It's like carrying a chain and a ball with you, wherever you go, you have to carry it with you. How can you have energy for anything else? So a sannyasi develops in this state free from all the pairs of opposites. He takes in knowledge, develops wisdom. As he gains wisdom, the last few desires fall away. Free to meditate. Through the practice of meditation, drops the last desires, becomes self-realized. You see the world for what it is. What is the world? When you read self-realize, what do you see the world as? Ravi? 
You see it as the illusion that you're in. Illusion, absolutely right. You see the world for what it is, a mere illusion. So, one thing make sure that you should understand. When you become self-realized, it doesn't mean you get superpowers, yeah? You don't suddenly get a halo over your head. It's a state of internal transition. A state of liberation, freedom. You're able to identify all living beings, knowing the truths of life, becoming one with the creator, Brahman, God. That's self-realization. Any clarifications? Now, we can only go by people who've reached that state and written about it. The Upanishad is full of that. All the verses in there are by people who have reached that state and then they're telling us what it is, the state to get to that state, how you see the world thereafter. So this is a personal account of people who've reached that state. Any questions? Okay, verse four. Sankhya yoga kritag palaha pravadantina panditaha ekamapyastita samyag ubayor vindate palam Sankhya yoga kritag palaha pravadantina panditaha Ekamapyastita samyag ubayor vindate palam. Children, not the wise, speak of sankhya and yoga as different. He who is duly established in one obtains the fruit of both. Children, not the wise, speak of Sankhya and yoga as different. He who is duly established in one obtains the fruit of both. Any idea what that means? It's a repeat of what we're already discussing, but from a different perspective. It's explaining that the path is of a yogi, who then becomes a sannyasi, and then he becomes a jnani, self-realized. Jnani means knowledge. First path is a yogi, initial part of the spiritual journey. Drops most of his desires through karma yoga. Then he becomes a sannyasi, relatively free from desires. If he's free from desires, what does it enable him to do? As a sannyasi. He's free from desires. What then can he do? Any idea? So, you drop all your mental baggage. What are you able to do then? Yeah, I don't know. 
Is it your mind frees up to meditate? Your mind frees up, your intellect frees up, you're able to take in the knowledge. You are not this body, mind, intellect. You are the self. You are Brahman, God. You start, it starts making sense to you. You're mentally free. You can take in the knowledge. You can contemplate, convert it to wisdom. You're not constantly drawn to the world by desires, creating mental agitations. This is what stops you. This is what's stopping Arjuna from thinking clearly. So you see now why you need to drop your desires. How can you contemplate? How can you think when the world keeps attracting you? Mind keeps going there. You're not free to do it. Creates mental agitations. Then through knowledge, the last desires drop off. Meditate, become self-realized. So this formula, jnani, I mean, um, yogi, sannyasi, jnani, it's like doing a degree to become a doctor. How do you become a doctor? What do you have to do? I don't know how many years you have to study. Anybody knows? How many years you have to study to be a doctor? So, Sil knows. Five years. Five years. Five years. You do go to university, do medicine. Then you have to go to the hospital and train, isn't it? That's the last year. Last year. Last year you go and train in a hospital. After that, you become a doctor. Is that roughly right? Damesh, would you say that's right? So first, you do the initial stage of studying medicine. Go to university. Then it leads to the advanced stage when you go to the hospital. And then you complete, become a doctor. Or a dentist, Deepabin. It's the same thing on the spiritual path. One leads to the other. There's only one path. But you all know that now. And what this verse is saying is that non-thinkers, people who don't understand, ignorant people, believe there are two paths and they're both different. One of a yogi, karma yoga, and one is a sannyasi. I am a karma yoga. I practice karma yogi. I'm a sannyasi. I only study. They believe both paths to be different. This is what this verse is saying. Children. It refers to this word sankhya. All that means is the knowledge and wisdom that one takes in at the stage of sannyasi. Those who do not understand that there is only one path, believe that they are both different, are ignorant of the truth. But due to the humility of the wise sages, they are referred to as spiritual children. Could you read number one, verse number one, Nila? 
paragraph one, sorry. The sequence of development on the spiritual path starts with yoga action, matures into sannyasa, renunciation, and ends with jnana, knowledge of self. One who traverses the initial part of the spiritual journey is called a yogi. As he advances in his path and becomes more spiritually evolved, he is known as a sannyasi. His efforts culminate when at the ultimate end of his journey, he attains spiritual enlightenment. He then earns the status of yani. Yoga and sannyasa do not indicate two different paths. They are two stages of the same path. Here, the word sankhya refers to the knowledge and wisdom associated with the concept of sannyasa. A sannyasi treads the path of knowledge on which he progressively develops from the stage of action of yoga to that of sannyasa. Sankhya in this context means sannyasa. Thank you. So it's one path it's saying, not two paths, but some people believe they're both separate paths. So he's saying these people are referred to as spiritual children. They don't understand. So on this path, you have to be sincere, constant, consistent. Then you'll reach the goal. You can't take it casually. Don't become a spiritual tourist. What is a spiritual tourist? What's a spiritual tourist? When you're trying different things, you know, dipping in out and where's that gonna get you? Build knowledge, I hope. <laughs> Build knowledge. What it's saying is don't be a spiritual tourist, meaning stick to one path and take it to the end. Doesn't matter which one. We're not saying go, take stick to this path. Whichever one makes sense to you, follow it to the end, if there is an end. Don't dip in and out because you're not doing justice to yourself. Pick one, go to the end. You can't say, well, today I want to be a doctor. After one year, you say, you know, now I want to be a dentist. After one year, you say, no, I want to be an accountant. Where is it going to take you? Nowhere. Similarly, don't be a spiritual tourist. Whatever you choose, take it to the end. Give it your full 100% effort. Someone asked me during the week, my brother, how should a person on the spiritual path react to people who don't have this knowledge, who don't understand? How should a person on the spiritual path react to people who don't understand this knowledge? How would you react to them? Any idea, Dharmesh? You don't react to them because whatever they feel or don't feel, it doesn't affect you. Okay. How do you see that? How do you see them? They're ignorant because they're looking for something that you know you you found or looking at. So one day. But you're wise, you know. You're a wise person. You see them as children. 
The one who doesn't understand, you see them as children. Don't argue with them. It's like when, I, as I said before, you offer a child a lollipop in one hand, a 10 pound note in the other. What will the child take? Instant gratification, they take the lollipop. Why? Because the child doesn't know the value of the 10 pound note. Doesn't know you can buy a hundred lollipops with that. Your own child. But you love your child. You understand this is where mentally they are. You laugh inside. Look, he doesn't know the value of 10 pounds. He can buy a hundred. They don't understand the values of life yet. But you know, one day they'll grow up and develop. Similarly, when you interact with people who don't understand the values of spiritual development, you see them as spiritual children. Sympathize. One day, maybe in the next life or later on in the life, they'll gain the wisdom. You don't love them any less. We were there one day. Once we were there. All of us were there. It's, we're fortunate due to our karma that we are gaining this knowledge now, this understanding of life. Other people, they're not there yet. That's all. They could be your partner, your children, brothers, sisters, family, friends, work colleagues, could be anybody. Never judge them. Is that okay? Show humility. This is what these great sages did. You don't know what you're talking about. Nonsense, but okay, that's fine. Nilam, can you read the last two verses, please? Being on the same path, yoga and sannyasa both have an identical goal, the achievement of self-realization. The wise understand this sequence of spiritual development. They realize that the two paths differ in degree, not in kind. Those lacking spiritual knowledge do not see the interrelation between the two. They consider the two paths as separate. The verse directly calls them children, malaha, meaning spiritual children. The reference to the ignorant people in the world as children speaks of the beauty and grandeur of the preceptor. The masters who have risen to great spiritual heights have an overall objective view of the world. They feel nothing but love and compassion for one and all. They look at the less developed as children in relation to their own spiritual growth. Just as the parent looks at his children expecting an in inevitable growth and development in due course of time, so too the great masters viewed the ignorant as spiritual children with the hope that they too would grow to understand the truth of life. Thank you very much. Any clarifications? So with knowledge comes humility. This is what we're saying. With knowledge comes humility not ego. This is what this verse is saying. I know, you don't know nothing. That's your ego. You understand this is where they are, this is where I am. It's fine. But never argue with them. Okay, I remember. Verse 5. 
Yatsankye prapyate stanam Tadyogayrapigamyate Ekam sankhyam chayogam cha Yapashyati sapashyati Yatsankye prapyate stanam Tadyogayrapigamyate Ekam sankhyam chayogam cha Yapashyati sapashyati that state which is reached by the Sankhyas is reached by the yogis also. He who sees Sankhya and yoga as one, he sees. That state which is reached by the Sankhyas is reached by the yogis also. He who sees Sankhya and yoga as one, he sees. Once again, saying the same thing. The yogis on the path of karma yoga and the sannyasi both reach the same goal. It's all one the same. Sankhya means knowledge on the path of when you're sannyasi. What it means, in other words, when I've given you this example before, you want to go to Edinburgh, you get on the train at Paddington, Someone gets on the train at Birmingham. They will both reach the same destination. Correct? They'll both reach the same destination. At the same time, they will reach. So saying yoga, karma, yoga, yogi, and a sannyasi both reach the same goal eventually. The wise sees this one path as the same, but at different stages. First stage and last stage. So what he's saying is that it doesn't matter which, which where you join. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Are you a sannyasi or a yogi? It will take you to the same goal. So don't fret, don't worry. Wherever your personality is, you start acting based on that. You know, once you join, once you get on the train, you're going to get to that goal. Just put in the right effort, and that's it. The why sees the, this one path as the same, but at different stages. First stage and last stage. Ya pashyati, sa pashyati. Whoever sees, sees. Meaning whoever understands, understands. When you grow spiritually, you understand this. Spiritual children don't see it. This is what he's saying. Any clarifications? See, after class, this, this phrase, yapashyati, sapashyati, it, it can give you an answer to many different things, this phrase, if you understand it. After class, you tell your partner or your siblings, or your children, you know, we learned about the spiritual path. Genuinely, you're telling me. It's so fascinating. You do karma yoga, 
bulk of your desires go away. You drop your desires. Then you become sannyasi. You study, gain knowledge. Then you meditate, you become self-realized. Then see the world as an illusion. You're so enthusiastic, you want to share it. What do they do? Oh, that's really cool. It sounds lovely. But what's for lunch? Ya pasyati, sa pasyati. See, what it's saying is you can't push this subject to anyone. You can't wake somebody up who is not awake. Ya pasyati, sa pasyati. Those who see it, see it. The statement helps you to understand why some people are interested in this subject and some are not. And those who are not, you can't make them. Ya pasyati, sa pasyati. Yogis are the active people who follow the path of action, yoga. They use their organs of action, karma indriyas, more for their spiritual development. Whereas the sankhyas, sannyasis, are the contemplative who follow the path of knowledge, sankhya. They use their organs of perception, jnana indriyas, more for their evolution. Both Sankhya and Yoga are different stages of the same path leading to the one ultimate goal of self-realization. The yogis are engaged in action in the earlier part of the path, while the sannyasis are absorbed in contemplation and meditation in the latter part. The wise understand the sequence of spiritual development from action to renunciation and from renunciation to self-realization. They see the whole truth. The verse alludes to such an understanding when it states, he who sees Sankhya and yoga as one, he sees. Thank you. So here, what it was saying, one bit I missed, Half of action, the yogis, they use their organs of action, arms, feet, the other five uh, organs of action, eyes, nose, hearing. They use that to perform karma yoga. The sankhyas, they use their mind and intellect. They use their mind and intellect to gain knowledge. Organs of perception. Sanyasi. Any clarifications? You see what I said about these three verses? They're saying the same thing in different ways, slightly different angle. But as you understand all of it, even though it's the same thing, it gives you a complete picture of what, it is, what the Lord is trying to say. And the reason is because everyone's understanding is different. Neelam might understand from verse 3. Arunaben might understand from verse 5 the same thing. Somebody else, verse 4, might click. And this is how the Lord is giving us this knowledge. Understands everyone's mind is not the same. Same thing over and over again. 
from a different perspective. So you get complete picture. That's it, we covered three verses. Great. Yes, Arunamin. Can I ask a question, please? Um, yes, certainly. You know, you mentioned about the spiritual tourist. So when you say about sticking to the same path, or it's, to, it's good to stick to one path, hmm. are we talking about um, different religions, or where, are we talking about um, karma yoga, bhakti yoga, uh, or the, the three yogas, trying the different parts of the three yogas? I think as though, I feel as though, you know, we're talking more about spiritual tourists being, finding something that you can connect with to say whether, so, so what would you mean from that? I mean, rather than- Anybody, anybody like to answer, I mean, what is a spiritual tourist? I have a sense of it, but I just wondered what everybody else thinks. It doesn't mean anything specific as such, right. okay? Uh, a, it's a general term, spiritual tourist. It's nothing specific. Yeah, you won't find it in the dictionary, spiritual tourist. You know, I've heard it often mentioned, you know. Um... Who can explain what a spiritual tourist is? My understanding is someone that is a seeker, mm -hmm. but trying to connect and find that connection, what translates. Um, like the way I see it, if you look at, obviously, I think Hinduism is more, a bit more fluid, cultured, you, you're, you're free thought. Islam is more structured, more instructional. So some people, you know, if, you, if, I, if I compare it to some people like to be micromanaged and given tasks on a daily basis to do X, Y, and Z. And that resonates with them. Some people want the flexibility to have free thought. So when you're a, spirit, you know, a spiritual tourist, you're looking what your connection with, what your, you know, when we say you're domestic, what, what resonates with you? So I've seen people, you know, who convey from one to another. Before I didn't understand it, but I now understand because they're all going on the same path, they're all going on the same direction. But the way they're getting the instructions, as I said, some people need that stringent, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do that. And that resonates with them, that works with them. But they're still getting to the same path. But they had to try a few options before they found the one that sits with them. Yeah, absolutely right, Ravi. Anyone else? Spiritual tourism. Nilam. So I, I share my personal experience. So I've been um, so interested in spiritual development and looking at so much different information, and it's all pointing to the same thing. But what I've done recently is I've made the choice to commit to the Vedic knowledge so I've gone back to Vedanta treaties and I'm and I've realized that if I just focus my energy on it's the same message, but in one language, shall we say, mm -hmm. um, I feel that that's helping me because my mind is more focused. So I just thought I'd share my personal experience. Yeah, so absolutely. yeah. absolutely. You're right. Nilam. Thank you. Share. Um, focus on one path. Let me see where it takes me. Is it helping me? Can you gauge? And is it developing me spiritually? Am I learning? Am I changing? If you find it's having an effect on you, take it to the end. Concentrate on one. Whatever that may be, we're not saying this. Yeah, we're not saying Vedic knowledge. It could be anything that resonates with you. Whatever it is, take it to the end. That's what it's saying. Don't keep chopping and changing. 
you're because you're not helping yourself. You're not helping yourself. Initially, you may try a few different things. I'll try meditation. I'll do try Buddhism. I'll try this. Uh, but when you'll find resonates with you more and talks to your intellect more clearly, follow that. The book, for example, if it, if it, if it gives you confidence that this book can take me to the end, follow it. Is that okay? I don't know. Yeah, I think that, but there is a part of me that thinks that maybe by reading different books mm -hmm. of religion, I, I certainly feel that, you know, 100% that this, this path has really connected with me. I think like Neelam, I really feel that because I've also been reading lots of different things and been seeking mm -hmm. for a long time. But there is a part of me that thinks, you know, for, all, for, for us to <coughs> tolerance, we perhaps need to read maybe different books, you know, from different religions and try and understand their perspectives. And, where they're coming from. And, and so I just meant it from there that, you know, wouldn't it be, yeah. from that point of view, maybe it would increase our knowledge and understanding where they, everybody comes from and, and be more understanding that, you know, yes, it may all lead to the same path, but that um, they have a different route. Yeah. So I'm so, not going to be a spiritual, like <coughs> following how they perform their rites or follow their religion, but certainly just in terms of, um, I guess maybe because I like reading and maybe that's where it comes from. So Arunavan, there's two, there's quite a few. This is very broad spiritual tourism. I mean, it's, very, it's a broad, very broad thing, yeah? Um, but from your perspective, from what you've explained, there's nothing wrong in reading different books. I read different books as well, but they're all based on Vedic knowledge, okay? Different gurus. And that increases your knowledge, yeah? But... You need a, a certain amount of foundational knowledge to be able to even read other books. Otherwise, it has no meaning to you. Yeah? <coughs> you need a foundation of understanding of the spiritual path, which the Bhagavad Gita will give you. Once you've got that, then you're able to appreciate, understand, take out whatever nuggets of knowledge you want to take out from other books. Until then, you won't understand. You understand from, from an intellectual perspective, you need some sort of foundational knowledge. Otherwise, you won't gain anything. And you'll find the Gita is the most scientific book available. So if you read that, even now, you've done four, uh, we've done five chapters. Even now, if you go and read another book, you'll have a better understanding of it. Can I share an experience? Sure. Uh, I was having this conversation with my granddaughter yesterday about uh, different religions and how Vedanta and the Bhagavad Gita has, is resonating with me. And like Aruna Bense, spiritual tourist, it's how we engage. And I know a lot of people have converted their religion to different religions. It's because a lot, it, it, it could be either simplified or it goes in depth. Mm -hmm. Like Swami Narayan, there's lots of rituals. It goes a lot in depth. Some people like that. Some people go to the church. They maybe read two, three verses and you know they dress up, they do the communion. 
and they come back. That gives them that sense of peace. Like for us, what we practice is a lot of uh, uh, strict rules, conforming, and all these things. And if we can't do it, we're going to retaliate. We're going to say, why are we doing this? Why do So I think in that sense, you know, that's why we, we seek different religions, because if some rules and regulations suits us, we're going to go into it. If it doesn't, you're not going to uh, practice it. So I look at it that way. Uh, spiritual practices and religions, it's what suit them at the time, at the place where they live in. Yeah, and, their mental state. Yes, because I could go to maybe Nepal and I feel, okay, I, I want to go to do Buddhism because it's, it's much more easier because the frequency and the place itself and everything is different. So it mm. may invoke you differently. So it's also where we live is also very important as to how we practice our religions. So it's all based on your mental texture, your intellectual texture. That's why there's so many religions, because uh, if different religions appeal to different people, and a lot of people are born into a particular religion, yeah, and they're not allowed to leave that religion. So that doesn't give them the freedom either, yeah. you see? So therefore, you, you, you should um, take the opportunity of this freedom of um, you know, where you can, freedom of choice, that you can choose whatever suits you. You're not bound by any, anybody or any particular religion. So you have that mental freedom. Not everyone has that. So you, you take, you, you choose whatever resonates with you and your personality. And if you can see a growth in you, then that work, that's working for you. Take it to the end. It was making you a better human being. Is stopping your hatred. If love is increasing, hatred is decreasing, it's working for you. Yeah. That's what it's all about. It's now like when I read my, our sastras as well, I'm getting a better understanding mm. as to their point of view, as to where they started that particular religion. So it's appreciating it yeah. with the knowledge we're already learning. Yeah. So as you gain this knowledge from the Gita, it gives you the fundamentals of life. Remember I said these great sages gave up this formula, how to become a better human being, how to get to the end goal of a human being. So once you understand that, then when you reach other, other books or other books from other religions or, or whatever, you have a better foundation of understanding. Because to be honest with you, from everything I've read, the Gita is the most scientific, most clear, knowledge I have ever come across. And it's not me saying most people in the world who've read the Gita, you know, the first language it was translated to was in German, uh, from, from uh, Sanskrit. Um, and in some European, I forget which, uh, which um, country it is, it's actually taken as a curriculum. And it's not a Hindu country. It is Germany. Is it Germany? Yeah. It's yes. taken into as part of the curriculum of studies. So, therefore, you study the Gita, it will give you the foundational knowledge to be able to understand most religions, most books. And the reason is because most of these religions actually take their knowledge from the Gita. They won't admit it, but a lot of it comes from the Gita. 
it's just twisted in a different way for a different community, for a different class of people, and that's all. But the fundamental knowledge comes from the Upanishads and the Gita. But you do, you, you follow your personality, you follow your senses, you follow what talks to you, and grow, develop. Don't be a spiritual tourist. Take something and take it to the end. And then continue with something else if that makes you feel better. Don't dip in and out. That's what it's saying. Okay. If there's no other questions, we'll see you next Sunday. Have a lovely day.